0: Hi, this is Rabbi Avi Killip. Before we get into this episode, I want to take a minute to mention Hadar's end-of-year fundraising campaign. If you love this podcast and you value Torah content from Hadar, please support us today at hadar.org slash donate. Thank you. Welcome to Tashma, the podcast where you get to listen in on Hadar's Beat Midrash, this year, each week, we will hear a Devar Torah on the Parsha from Rabbi David Kasher. Let's listen. The parshot of the Torah often employ a bookending technique, using similar words or phrases in both the first and last verses of the Parsha, in order to create a thematic frame for the action in the middle. Parshat VaYishlach's bookends are especially pronounced in that its first and last verses each end with the same word. Edom. The parsha's opening verse finds Yaakov preparing to re-encounter his brother Esav, after two decades of bitter estrangement. Vayishlach Yaakov malachim lefanav <inaudible> el Esav achiv Seir Edom. Yaakov sent messengers ahead to his brother Esav in the land of Seir, the field of Edom. And the last verse in the parsha, which comes at the end of a long list of all of Esav's descendants, is Aluf Magdiel, Aluf Iram, Eile Alufe Edom, leMoshvotam Hu Esav Avi Edom. The chief of Magdiel, the chief of Iram; these are the chiefs of Edom by their settlements in the land of their holdings, and Esav is the father of Edom. Between these two verses, we now have a lot of information about what Edom refers to. It was first the name of a place where Yaakov's brother Esav dwelled at the time of their reunion. Eventually, it became the name of a nation, with many clans sprawling across a sizable territory. That historical connection is succinctly explained by the Parsha's last phrase, Esav avi Edom. Esav is the father of Edom. In other words, the one-day great nation of Edom is made up primarily of generations of descendants of Esav. A man became a family, a family became a nation. The story of how Esav came to be called Edom, however, is not that simple. To understand that, we have to go all the way back to the moment of Esav's birth, where there are already hints of the name he will one day acquire. The first one emerged all red, Admoni, and cloaked with hair, and they called him Esav. There's some subtle wordplay here. Along with the name Esav, two other words in this verse echo names that we will associate with him. The one who will become Edom is first described as Admoni, red, and the one who will dwell in the land of Seir is covered with se'ar, hair. The linguistic connection between the word edom and the color red, adom, then becomes explicit in the first recorded dialogue between Esav and Yaakov. This is where the name edom is first mentioned explicitly. It's inserted as an interruption in the action, as if the narrator turned to speak to the reader directly. Once when Yaakov was cooking a stew, Esav came in from the field famished, and Esav said to Yaakov, Minha Adom give me some of that red red stuff to gulp down, for I am famished. Al Karashmo Edom, which is why he was given the name Edom. But Yaakov said, First sell me your birthright, Mihra Kayom et According to this story, the name Edom is indeed a play on the word for the color red, Adom. Esav gained the name Edom, the red, because of his ravenous hunger for that red, red stuff. That means that the name Edom comes from a story of humiliation. It was Esav's gluttonous cynicism that caused him to foolishly sell his birthright to his brother for a bowl of stew. And it was Jacob full of self-interest and guile, who took advantage of a tired and hungry man. This was a moment that Esav later regretted, the moment that began what would become decades of bitter conflict between these two brothers. The bookends of Parshat Vayishlach then are tethered to these two moments in Esav's early life. When its opening verse tells us that Yaakov is sending messengers to Esav his brother in the land of Seir, in the field of Edom, those names call us back to the earliest memory we have of Asav, coming out all ruddy, Admoni, and Hirsut, Sa'ir. And we are reminded that he emerged first, Harishon. But when the Parsha's last verse tells us that Esav is the father of Edom, we are called back to the second episode in Esav's life, to that red, red stuff, Ha'adom, Ha'adom. And we are reminded that Though he was the firstborn, he quickly and disgracefully lost his birthright. This closing is meant to do more than simply inform us of Edom's genealogy. The Torah is warning us, with a thread of connected words that stretches back to the moment of asaph's birth, that the relationship between these two peoples has always been deeply troubled. That warning helps prepare us for the future encounter between Edom and Yisrael. Parshat Vayishlach is the last we hear of Esav himself, but Edom will make an appearance much later in our narrative, in the Book of Numbers. The children of Israel are in the final year of their decades of wandering through the desert, and as they move northward, they're heading towards the territory of Edom. So, Moshe sends out a request for safe passage. These are ancient relatives, after all. The Torah describes this moment with very familiar language. Vayishlach Moshe Malachim. Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. Thus says your brother Yisrael, Achicha Yisrael. You know all the hardships that have befallen us. There's the opening word of our parsha. Vayishlach. Moshe is sending out messengers as his ancestor Yaakov once did, to Edom. And that connection is explicit, for Moshe emphasizes your brother, Yisrael. The response, however, is not an offer of brotherhood, but a threat of violence. Vayomer lavedom," Edom, answered him, Do not pass through me, lo tavor bi, or else I will go out against you with the sword. Notice the first-person address. I will go out against you. This is suddenly more than a national confrontation. It's personal. Moshe tries to negotiate, offering to move without stopping, and to pay for whatever water they drink along the way. But Edom is resolute. Lo tavor. You will not pass. And they come out in force, armed. But why is Edom so aggressive, so immediately predisposed to attack? Didn't Yaakov and Esav reconcile, after all, long ago? That reconciliation was ostensibly the main subject of Parshat Vayishlach. Now, remember I said before that the bookending technique serves to create a thematic frame for the action in the middle. So, now let's take a look at some of that action that takes place between the bookends. Yaakov is terrified of meeting Esav again, and he does everything he can to mitigate the possibility of danger. He sends messengers with gifts and humble greetings, he prays to God to save him from the hands of Esav, and in case all else fails, he divides his camp so that at least one half can escape. And then Yaakov spends the night wrestling with some mysterious figure in what seems to be some kind of spiritual rehearsal for the next day's confrontation. And he emerges with a blessing, and his new name, and it all seems to work. Vayarat's Esav-li-Krato, Esav ran to greet him, and he hugged him, and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. After all these years, and all the pain and anger that is laid between them, some dam seems to have broken, and they come to each other in a raw emotional display. Esav then wants to meet Yaakov's family. And Esav eventually invites them to travel with him back to his home in Seir. It seems our story will have a happy ending. But not so fast. Yaakov doesn't turn down the invitation immediately, but he demurs, claiming his family caravan travels too slowly. And he asks Asav to go on ahead until I come to my lord in Seir. Esav offers Yaakov a retinue to escort him, but again Yaakov declines. And in the next two verses, we get a quick account of what happened next. So Esav started back that day on his way to Seir. But Yaakov traveled on to Sukkot. Yaakov never shows up. He sends Esav on ahead to Seir and then turns and goes another way. In fact, Rabbi Abahu says in Bereshit Rabbah, we do not find that Yaakov ever went to Esav at Mount Seir for the rest of his life. Did Esav extend his hand in true brotherhood and get snubbed by Yaakov, ripping open old wounds that had just barely closed? Or did Yaakov diplomatically maneuver his way out of a trap? and was Aesop just trying to lure him back into his territory in order to take them captive? Whatever happened, something was left unsettled. This relationship, once so badly broken, was never fully repaired. There was perhaps a moment of real feeling, the possibility of reconciliation. But soon enough, ancient suspicions rose up and brothers went their separate ways, back to their silent standoff. And so they stood for centuries. Brothers who were unresolved became nations who were unresolved. When Moshe sent out those messengers from your brother Israel, did they remind the king of Edom of that ancient abandoned reconciliation? When Moshe offered to pay for whatever he consumed, did it trigger some ancestral memory of humiliation? The day his ancestor Esav had to pay for what he consumed, and he paid with his birthright. That was the day Esav became Edom. So now, he will turn his brother away, as his brother once turned away from him. The bookends of our Parsha mark the rise of two families who became great nations. But they also remind us of an earlier history, and warn us, with little red alerts, that not only do families grow into nations, but family conflicts, left unresolved, grow into national conflicts. Thanks for listening. I wanted to let you know that I'm teaching an online Parsha class every Thursday at 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern in partnership with IKAR. Uh, we'll take a deeper dive into some aspect of the material we covered in this Dvar Torah. So if you love these podcasts, it's a great way to keep the conversation going. Sign up for free at hadar.org forward slash West. Our producers for this episode are Sam Greenberg and Jeremy Tabak. Thank you to Nadav Remes for editing this episode. I'm your host, Rabbi Avi Killip. It's been a pleasure to learn with you.